to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Thank you everyone for joining today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Sayla Prag. Today, we have our special guest, our return special guest, Trevor Thompson. Trevor is a successful vice president with 47 plus years in the attractions and entertainment industry. Trevor is an accredited investor he is a limited partners in more than 20 syndicated deals and two general partners. He is currently investing in multifamily more than 2,500 doors, retail strip mall, one townhouse to condo conversion, and one single family rental portfolio funds, one ground up multifamily funds, and a medical office building, land developments near new the Tesla factory in Austin. So he has been actively working to acquire his multifamily apartments as GP asset managers in Texas. So Travers, thank you so much for coming back to the shows today. And we really appreciate your time. I know it's like giving out as a synopsis of your background because from our previous episode, we get to know each other. We know each other for quite some time now. So for our listener who's tuning in for the first time, why don't you just give a little bit more about your background and how did you get started with real estate? Yeah, so I'm originally from Niagara Falls, Canada, hence my background here on the screen and my company called Niagara Investments. So I was in the attractions and entertainment business my whole life. So I actually started for working for Ripley's, believe it or not, at age 13, worked there for five years, worked for Guinness World of Records for 18 years, moved to the United States and opened up a year-round haunted house. And then I started with iFly Indoor Skydiving and spent 20 years working with them and opened 46 of our 80 worldwide locations. And then this wonderful thing called COVID came along and they went from development to survival and I got let go. So I decided I'm going to do real estate full time because I don't want to go work for some 21 year old with an MBA or whatever. And so I've decided just to do real estate full time. So how has real estate doing real estate full time treating you so far? So it's super challenging. If you listen to the gurus, they tell you, take the course, find a partner, buy an apartment and everything's great. It is super hard. And I know you guys have been looking for deals for a long time. We've been talking super hard to find a deal that works. Even the last few years, it's just very hard, especially when your first deals, you want to make sure that you got something that's going to be very successful because you want your first few deals to be, in theory, your best deals ever. I'm trying to stick to a market in central Texas that I live, which is also very active with a lot of people looking for deals. So it was challenging. And then my first deal as a GP, unfortunately, we didn't get it closed. It was a loan assumption with a third party prep equity and then investor money. And the bank would never approve the third party prep equity portion. And six months, $350,000 down the drain, which 75 was mine, six months of my life. So I stopped looking because this was a big deal. It was 240 doors, $25 million deal. I had to put all my energy into it. And so that set me back for a while, for sure. But I learned a lot and now I'm having some success and I'm excited to do more. 
So I want to learn more about what you have learned from that first deal, right? Especially in this market, is there any things that you can share with our listeners and making sure that once they get a deal or before even they get a deal to making sure that it's a successful deal? Yeah, so loan assumptions are particularly awkward to get sometimes. And the reason is, you know, banks aren't set up necessarily to do loan assumptions. And the fact that this one, we needed to get a third-party pref equity in the middle. We could never get in the lender didn't even necessarily have to give us what they didn't like. I mean, we wrote the agreement trying to figure out what they might not like or what they would do. And it was super, super challenging and very frustrating. At the end of the day, the lender's in charge. And if they don't approve it, you can't get it done. And it was quite interesting. So I said, I'm never doing another loan assumption again as long as I live. And the deal I just closed on, guess what? It's a loan assumption. <laughs> Congratulations. I don't want to say easier loan assumption, but definitely a different loan assumption because we did not need a prep equity. It was already at a 71% loan to value. So we had to raise, of course, the difference in the purchase price, all the closing costs, and then all of the CapEx costs. Where in the old days, you could get a bridge loan, 80% loan to cost, not loan to value even. And the way you lots of IO left, interest only, there's no interest only left on this deal. So you have to look at the deal quite a bit different. So in terms of the loan assumption itself, can you elaborate a little bit for our listener if they tune in for the first time? What is a loan assumption and what some other things that you should be looking at to prepare yourself, making sure that when we're going through the loan assumption process with the lender, before even you putting under contract or even after you're putting under contract and making sure that you meet connected all the dots and that the lender will be making sure that the loan assumption will be approved? Yeah, so it's very unique that it's kind of like triply challenging. Okay, so banks and mortgage brokers and Fannie and Freddie, they're set up to lend money out to new borrowers. That's their whole business model, and they're set up to do that. So somebody went and got that loan, so they already did it. Now we're coming along and saying, you've got a loan. You've got somebody on the hook for the loan that signed that they're going to pay you the things. We want to take over that loan, and we want you to give it to us and let us take over the loan. And so it's super, they're just not equipped to do it. And it takes a long time. There's a lot of questions asked. And it was quite interesting. We were buying an underperforming asset and they're like, well, how do we know? And we were like, we think you've got better risk of us taking it over and performing better than you do the current owner who's been unable to perform. And we gave all the reasons why we gave our resumes. One of our partners is a property manager. And I think that really did help that they liked that, oddly enough. that And she was already, she got some letters of references from some other businesses that she was property manager from. And it made them more comfortable. But they're just not equipped for it. And it just, it takes a lot longer to get because there's kind of extra hoops to hop through. That makes sense. So where was his deal? Congratulations again. And where Thank was you. this deal, if you can share? Yeah, so it's in San Antonio, So it, and which is good. As the asset manager, it's an hour and 50 minutes from my house. We've owned it for seven weeks, and I've been there eight times. <laughs> so at least I can get to the property quickly and make sure that things are going to plan. And so, yeah, we're very excited. And it's a C-class value. And it's a value-add property. It's a management play. And luckily, the interiors are in excellent condition. It's a lot of deferred maintenance. 
and the exterior is not in good condition. So how many unit was in? 75. Oh, wow. That's a good size. So yeah. for talking about finding your deals, how did you find this deal? Nowadays, like uh, it's really hard. Like you mentioned, really we, we chit-chatted before jumping on to the recordings, finding a good deal to actually pencil out is extremely difficult in this environment. How did you find yeah. this deal? So it's really, I got lucky that I became friends with this property manager and she actually had closed a deal here in Austin where I live. And I tried to get on that deal, but there was no room, no need for me. And those ones were from a broker. So in theory, what they basically said is we're not going to put this on market if you can, we can work out a deal to buy it. So she's the one that the deal was offered to by the same broker. And so it was offered to her. So in theory, we were only competing with the seller with ourselves, right? And there was definitely some negotiations. We came pretty close to what he wanted because it was a good deal and it was priced right for a good deal. One of the things we did was all the gurus, of course, tell you 100 and above. And other people are looking at, let's say, the smaller numbers. So we kind of picked this 70 to 100 numbers, our sweet spot, the 60 even, we looked at a few to try to get out of the big boy's way <laughs> and slide in under the radar. And when I switched my business model to looking at those, we got closer every time. We kept getting closer and closer. And then finally, we did get a deal. So this is definitely like a one-off market deal. It's like between you and the sellers that a true off-market. It's not one of those off-market where it's being sent out to a hundred others, yeah. basically buyers. So yeah, wow, was that... a broker in the middle. Very rarely do you do direct from a seller. So this was brought to us by a broker and it was who sold it to him and said, listen, I want to get out. Do you have a buyer? And he said, I think I've got the perfect person. And now how many people he sent it to, he didn't disclose, but we moved quickly and got it under contract quickly. So you mentioned that you were under the negotiation with the sellers back and forth a little bit. Is there any tips or recommendations of how to make a successful negotiation, especially talking to the sellers to put a deal on the contract? Yeah. So it's pick your battles. I think that's the easiest way to say, pick your battles. What do you really want to win and what are you really willing to give up? So we knew this was a mismanaged property. So we didn't get in a lot to, of, uh, hey, you had to keep, I mean, he couldn't go burn it down or do whatever. So he had to maintain certain steps, but we didn't push hard. And we were very clear that he was unorganized. He wasn't good at, he'd gone through three property managers in three years. So records were very sloppy. And so we didn't get into the nitty gritty. You know, let's make the main deal on the main points, a little bit of back and forth close to closing on who is responsible for what. And basically we just drew a line in the sand and said, this is yours. This is ours. Somebody owes you money. You don't collect it because it was pretty messy and that upset him near the end. But, and it worked out in our favor eventually, but that was one of the spots. We're not going to retrade you on the price, but we're not going to go collect your bad debt. So in terms of the current environments, finding a good deals and talking to the sellers, what are your thoughts about the current environment? How can one be successful in the real estate investing? Yeah, so the biggest challenge right now is finding the right loan assumption that it works, right? Because normally, and for the last five years, we've enjoyed low interest and high interest only periods. And so it made a lot of deals work. So now we're at a moderate interest. We're at 5.1. And when we started negotiating, 
that was okay. It wasn't great. Now we're geniuses, right? Because the interest rates have skyrocketed, but there was no IO left. So you've got to build that into your plan. So it really affects cash flow. So we had to make sure our investors knew this is going to take us a while to get to cash flow position, but the multiple equity is going to be good if you can achieve it. And you got to make sure that you're buying a property and you know you can do what you want to do. And we felt very comfortable because our partner, property management company, had been successful for the last few years. This is kind of her specialty. So I want to talk about the investor side of things. Have you seen any significant changes of their perspective in terms of investing into a multifamily syndication right now? And what what are your thoughts on that? So it was tough raising money. It was super tough. So the deal that didn't happen, it was pretty easy to raise money. Not easy. It's never easy, but it went pretty good pretty quickly. But people had just, I'm going to call it fear. No real logic based around the fear. Well, I'm going to keep my money and stay liquid for a while. And not saying, well, okay, listen, you're losing 7% on your money every day that you don't employ it and do something with it. Well, I'm just going to hold on because there's going to be better things coming. And not knowing that their investment and buying power is going away. It was also very good that this was the last year of full bonus depreciation. So we were able to, that powerful tool for us to be able to tell people, hey, you could do that. But It's super challenging. I was raising for a deal that I was not a general partner on. And it was between Thanksgiving and Christmas, right when everything was, man, I fell flat on my face. I mean, it was super hard. It definitely is a challenge right now because people are afraid. So is there any, some other things that you do to making sure that the investor is more comfortable? Like some of these deals are not small. I mean, you're talking about over 50 units apartment. So to get the fund, it's a significant raise. Any tips to our listeners? So making sure that you're offering the deal to the right people. So for example, one of my new investors, she was definitely focused on cash flow. And I very early in our conversation said, this is not the deal for you. This is not because this is not going to produce cash flow for maybe nine to 18 months. So you need to make sure that you have the right investors for the right deals, right? And I think people looking for cash flowing deals this year, it's going to be much more of a challenge to find them just because it's definitely tougher. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Have you seen any significant changes in terms of the business plans of a deal itself? Have you seen uh, some of the underwritings, including the expectation of refinance in year two or year three? Or do you notice that a lot of conservative underwriters now just straight through underwriting five years whole without any expectations of refinance at all? Yeah. 
So I still think that people are underwriting a little too optimistic for me to invest. I look at a lot of deals. I get a lot of deals sent to me. And I think deals that bought a one-year rate cap, well, I'm worried that's not long enough and, you know, different things. And, and so clearly it's become more challenging. But us as investors, too, we need to come to the realization that it's a slightly different period right now. And returns are not going to be crazy like they were. One of my deals, 3x my money in 20 months. I think that was a fluke of the market. I wish it wasn't. I wish all of my deals were 3x in 20 months. I'd be very happy, but it's not realistic to expect that. And, and even earlier in the year last year, people, they were believing the rent escalations, but they weren't underwriting for the expense escalations. Mm -hmm. So I would say, wait a minute, you got 8% rent bumps and 2% cost bumps. And how are you doing that? Like when a refrigerator costs more or paint costs more or every labor, everything costs more. So it became harder and harder to see who was doing really good underwriting and just really giving you realistic picture of what's going to happen. So, Trevor, you invested in so many syndication deals as an LP yourself and also as a GP. If an LP looking at a deal right now, you mentioned earlier about the rent bumps 8% and the expense was only raised about 2%. Are there any particular metrics that you look at right now as an LP to know right away this is not a deal for me or this is are the best things that LP should look at to know that this is a yeah. good deal? Yeah, so first of all, I put more emphasis on the who I give my money to at the very beginning. I want people that I've established a relationship with. The deal that 3x my money, I spent a year and passed on several deals and watched those deals do very well, but I wanted to be comfortable. I asked them to send me the reports of their current deals so I could see how they're reporting to their investors. And I was pleasantly surprised at the honesty of the reports like hey this is taking us a little longer to get this this is why this is what we're doing not just all smiles and roses and so that made me feel very confident that okay i can give this person my money and then there are simple things that you can do without getting too complicated right so for example i looked at a deal and they said okay we're going to increase the rents to this and so i went and looked and said okay what's the area income And to get those rents, the area income, you'd have to do two times earnings. Well, that's not sustainable. You're not going to get a good tenant base, right? It needs to be three times earnings. So you need to look at just some of those simple things and just making sure that this, I'm less worried. I don't like crime, but I'm less worried. But I'm really worried about, okay, people that live within a three-mile radius can't afford this rent. Therefore, no matter what you do, People that can afford it don't move to the wrong side of the tracks and the right side of the tracks that where they're going to live. So it's just looking at things like that. And again, I know it's hard and it sounds complicated, but it's not that hard just to figure out. I know doing rent surveys and stuff is very hard, but just say, okay, if you're going to charge this much money, basically you want three times the income, right? So if somebody's going to pay a thousand dollars rent, you want them to earn three thousand dollars a month. Very simply. And so little things like looking at that and then just making sure that expenses are up and especially in Texas, looking at the property tax line, even the insurance line, both of those costs have gone up substantially. So Trevor, 
I know you don't have a crystal ball and we still started our 2023. And I want to throw these questions out there from your perspective. What do you see 2023 would look like in real estate investing? So I think there's going to be some winners and some losers. And the losers are the ones that overpaid and underestimated. And those deals are going to come up for sale. And people that were patient and are ready to pick up a deal and probably have to pick up a loan assumption or do whatever it is, there'll be opportunities for those people, right? So that Warren Buffett, I think he came and says, when everybody's fearful, that's the time to be greedy. And so I do think it'll be a mixed bag, right? Um, there will be some deals that are going to get in trouble. And then they're going to have to give realistic prices to sell to get out. So many deals. Like I used to say this for the last three years, that you're selling me the deal on performa, not on performance. And I'm hoping that deals will now be able to be bought on performance. And then you'll be able to come up with a new plan to do it. But I don't think we're completely out of the woods on interest rate increases and things like that. So I'm hoping that in a year or so, they'll start normalizing. And I want to make sure this is one thing that's, I've been, I'm old, right? So I've been around my first home mortgage had a 16% interest rate, if you can imagine. Think about wow. that. That's crazy, right? <laughs> when you think about it. So wasn't normal was two and three and 4% interest rates. That was not normal. But the fact that it went from three to six to eight or nine, that's, wow, that's shocking, right? It's a big blast to the system. And I'm hoping they'll come back into the four, five, six range, which is let's call normal and that you can still make businesses work on those numbers. So, Travers, you invested in a lot of asset classes. And so what is your focus right now? Which asset class that you feel is the bullish for you? Yeah. So right now I'm still 100% focused on multifamily. But I like medical, even though I only have one investment in it, I like medical. Medical is you're not going to see the same returns that you're going to see maybe in multifamily and some of the different things, but it's a good steady as you go. I do have one storage investment and I kind of like storage. It was okay. And again, we talk about looking for investments. So I spent a year getting to know a person and passed on several of their offerings or their deals. I wanted to get into storage and I wanted to get an investment in the Carolinas. And so all of a sudden the trifecta came, storage unit just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, with one of my best friends that I truly believe knows how to offer me a good deal. My first question was, are you putting money in the deal? And they were, and I went, okay. And then of course I looked at the deal, I should look at it, but I'm gonna be honest, I don't understand the storage market near as much because I spent a lot of energy understanding the multifamily space. It was a different plan, so it was a new build, right? So they had a construction loan. It was at a fairly high interest rate, but it was a full recourse loan at a locked rate, so I knew we were okay. And the concept of it is is to build it, stabilize it, and then refinance it into more traditional long-term debt, which is a little easier on that type of uh, once you get a brand new place and it's stabilized and done well. And they were going to return a significant amount of the capital to refi and then hold it. So it was a seven-year sort of place. So three years, let's say nothing's going to come back to you. A little bit of money will come back to you. And then a refi, hopefully get like 50% of the money or more back. And then hold it for a longer period of time. 
just was a totally different play than most of my other real estate plays. So for 2023, do you see yourself diversify more or you'll be focusing more on uh, multifamily? So my, my question would be, uh, what's next for you for, for 2023? Yeah, so I'm actually partnering up with some other folks uh, to do some deals and they're doing a mix of deals, right? So they're what they call opportunistic investors. So they're looking for people that are good sponsors, but are struggling to get a deal closed and they can come in and close it. They're also just signed a contract for a new bill here close to Austin. And so I think that by the time they get through the market, it should be interest rates in a little bit normal, normal, get it up. And it's a build the rent bedroom community. And it's something that's got a big need in our space. So, but at least by getting on a bigger team, I'll have more options within that team. That makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. Now I want to uh, jump back and talk to you a little bit about your lives. So since you started real estate investing journeys as a full time, how has that free up your time and what have you done? How, like, how has that impacted your life so, so far? I am working harder than I've ever worked in my life, but I'm working for me. One of the things getting low, let go in COVID, you know, I worked really hard. And then boom, I mean, I built the company. I was one of the main people that built the company. And then all of a sudden I was so disposable. And so at least now I'm working as hard as I worked then, because I'm still doing a lot of things to try to build up my relationships and my career, but I'm really working really hard, but I'm working for me now and I'm going to reap the benefits. I'm going to share those benefits with my passive investors that have come along with the journey, become very passionate about educating. I set a goal for a thousand people to be financially free through real estate investing. That doesn't mean a thousand people are going to invest with me. That means I've said something on your podcast here that touches somebody and kind of pulls the trigger. Oh, I never looked at it that way. And then invest with somebody, right? Hopefully they pick a good somebody, but I want to make sure at least I give you the kind of breadcrumbs on the trail to get there. So Trevor, I've been knowing you for quite some time and I follow you on social medias. And I see that every time you're setting up a goal, you go all out. One of the goals that you mentioned last year was on the social media was you want to be more present. And then you get yourself like going on different podcasts, going to different talks, different webinars and different conferences to be speakers and all that. One of the things that is really hard for a lot of us is setting a realistic goals. And I see that you are really good at that. Can you share any tips to our listener? How did you come up with all these goals and how do you stay the course in making sure that those goals are met? Yes. So again, it's it's easy because again, I don't have a full-time job. So I know you you do and your wife does, and it makes life a little more challenging. I don't have young kids. My kids are grown. My wife doesn't want me to come out of my office. She never listens to my podcast. So it's okay. I can say that. But so I've got a lot of time to be able to put into this. And I believe if you're going to do something, you need to be passionate about it. And I got to be surprised. Honest, I'm very surprised how passionate I am about real estate investing. I just sort of got into it and then it started all these things that I can help people create financial freedom. I can make places better for people. I can do all of these things. And it just inspired me. And I was sitting looking at my goals. My original goal was 100 people are going to invest by the end of the year. And then I started listening to my good friend, Grant Cardone of 10X and 
I also listened to where he talked about if people don't know you, it's your fault. You in today's world, you need to be everywhere. You need to be omnipresent. And so I set this goal. I'm, I'm going to be a little less focused on it this year because it took so much of my energy. I'm going to try to monetize my all the energy that I put into this. But I set a goal to be like I said, 52 appearances, whether podcasts where I was on somebody else's stage. I went to events and I said to myself, how do I get on stage? And then like I was at a is a smaller group thing, but there was 300 people there and I was on stage twice part of a panel. And how did I get there? I knew this guy was putting an event on. I said, how can I help you? What can I do? I helped get people on the panel. And I got to be on the panel with the people I got on the panel. And all the people on the panel were like 10 times more successful than me in theory. And the one guy was 8,000 doors. It's a lot of, lot of doors. <laughs> and by just putting myself out there. And now I'm going to take it to the next stage to try to monetize it, to get on more deals. And it's just, I call it the evolution of what I'm doing. Wow. Is that such really amazing that you're setting up all the goals and also planning to provide value, not just to anybody. It's like basically you provide value to everybody. So it can yeah. be the GP or can be the investors uh, to provide value as much as possible. No, and putting yourself out there. So I guarantee you, I click like on everything you and your wife post and I make a comment. It's often awesome the thing, but I want to support people. You guys are like, I call it the cutest couple ever. Thank you. But it's, and when you sent me that you'd got a deal closed, I was happy, so happy. Thank you know, you. And I mean, I think I sent an email back right away. And one time I was speaking with Lena and she talked about your air conditioning and I checked up to make sure your air conditioning was good. It's like you make so many friends. And who would think, right, that we would ever have connected and have that kind of just, well, I don't even think we've eaten a meal together yet, but you feel connected to people because you can use those medians to get to know them, watch all the different podcasts, and, and it brings a lot of value to people. Thank you so much, Trevor, for all your support and all your caring uh, friendship with us. So we're really thankful and grateful to have you in our circle and our network. So you are very passionate about real estate, Trevor. I can tell that just the way you talk. Is there any surprises, like the one thing that you know now about real estate that you feel like, oh, I wish I knew it before I get started? I don't know if I have any surprises. I'm going to be clearly like I've had a couple of deals that didn't work out okay and losing money on the first one that was never an intention to do that. But Rod Cleef calls them your seminars or your whatever they are. and You got to get out there and do some stuff. But I don't know if there's been... I guess I'm surprised how passionate I am about it is the one thing that I'm surprised about. To, to be honest, you know, I loved working for iFly and I was living a dream of flight. And I was responsible for building the company's culture program. We started with 16 people when I started the company. We had a thousand people and I championed the company culture and customer service and all of these things. And I thought, oh, I'll never find that again. And I'm so happy I have. So for Trevor, I want to dig into this a little bit. You mentioned that it's a couple of deals that actually go south for you. For a lot of us, like if you see an investment going south as a passive investors, chances are get a little bit discouraged and probably don't want it to invest again. What keeps you going? I think I did realize that these are businesses. There are risks and rewards, right? 
And so if you just so conservative, you never do anything, you're never going to get ahead. Right. So on average, I'm on track because I've had some really good winners and a couple of the ones that aren't winners. So in theory, I'm okay. I'm in that space right there, but I feel like every time I learn something new and I can apply it. And so like when you put your money in the stock market, what do you learn? Do you learn anything? Do you learn that like, okay, I put my stock in Apple and Apple's a great company and then Russia invades the Ukraine and my Apple stock goes down. What can I learn from that? Well, world peace, but you can't control world peace. So hope someday we can. You can't, but at least on these, I can take a lesson and I can learn it and I can ask some questions. Why are we here? What did we do? Hopefully you have a sponsor who's willing to share and give you why we're here and what we're going to do to get out of here. So it's really, really valuable that you get these. So I feel like kind of I can control my own destiny. And yeah, of course, I want every deal to be a home run and I want everything to be great. But at the end of the day, I know that I have my that I'm using the power of leverage through bank debt. I'm in the most tax efficient space. Being a real estate professional, I'm taking advantages of most of the tax benefits that are available. I mean, so I feel like I'm doing all the things right. And you got to remember, a lot of people think, oh, real estate's a get-rich-quick scheme. No, the, the lottery's a get-rich-quick scheme and nobody wins, right? Real estate is buy real estate. Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. It's a time game. And if you look at how real estate appreciates, and even though if there's adjustments, it's always appreciates. And there's just it's a constant reality in America that real estate goes up in value. So Trevor, so thank you so much for coming on today to our podcast to talk to us about your new deals, your backgrounds, and your expectations of what it looks like in 2023. And really appreciate you sharing all the tips to making sure that we selecting the right deals not selecting the wrong deal, but learn from it. If it happened to select the wrong deal, at the end of the day, it's an investment, right? But like yeah. you said, in real estate, at least you have the power in your hand where you can ask questions and do the analysis yourself, do your own due diligence and before you make a decision to invest in one deal. So I can see that like Trevor is amazing getting to know you. And I want our listeners to get to know you as well into a deeper level. So if our listener wanted to find out more about you and wanted to connect with you, where can they go? So the easiest is LinkedIn. So you got to remember the K, K Trevor Thompson. I'm very active on there. And especially if you just put a message in the, the connection request, I saw you on a podcast. I always accept it. Facebook, I don't, on my personal account, I don't accept as many people. And then I do have a Facebook private group called Learn and Earn, okay, because I want people to learn and earn, right? Uh, it's part of my mantra. So those are the easiest ways. And then I do have a YouTube channel, K. Trevor Thompson, again, for the YouTube channel. But LinkedIn is the easiest. And then, of course, my company is Niagara. You have to have a dash, investments.com. Trevor, thank you so much for your time to coming on and catching up with me. Really appreciate you and really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Nice to talk to you again. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. 
If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.